0: Been thinking about this lately This is what I suppose
1: Welcome to the teaching all ministry of Calvary Chapel, Chapel, South London
0: You can visit
1: us at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org I realise you're not
0: right with me So I'm on my knees for understanding The more the world I see, the more I see Leave her off in but I'm no diamond ring i got a lot to learn, so I'm listening Paul said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law, and yet contrary to the law, you order me to be struck? Those who stood by said, Would you revile God's high priest? And Paul said I did not know brothers that he was the high priest for it is written you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people now when Paul perceived that one part was Sadducees and the others and the other Pharisees he cried out in the council brothers I am a Pharisee a son of Pharisees it is with respect to, to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. Then a great clamor arose, and some of the scribes of the Pharisees' party stood up and contended sharply. We find nothing wrong in this man. What if a spirit or an angel spoke to him? And when the dissension became violent, the tribune, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him away from among them by force and bring him into the barracks. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. When it was day, the Jews made a plot and bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. There were more than 40 who made this conspiracy. They went to the chief priests and elders and said, we have strictly bound ourselves by an oath to taste no food till we have killed Paul. Now therefore you, along with the council, Give notice to the tribune to bring him down to you, as though you were going to determine his case more exactly, and we are ready to kill him before he comes near. Now the son of Paul's sister heard of their ambush, so he went and entered the barracks and told Paul. Paul called one of the centurions and said, Take this young man to the tribune, for he has something to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the tribune and said, Paul the prisoner called me, And asked me to bring this young man to you, as he has something to say to you. The tribune took him by the hand, and going aside, asked him privately, What is it that you have to tell me? And he said, The Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down to the council tomorrow, as though they were going to inquire somewhat more closely about him. But do not be persuaded by them, for more than forty of their men are lying in ambush for him who have bound themselves by an oath, neither to eat nor drink, till they have killed him. And now they are ready, waiting for your consent. So the tribune dismissed the young man, charging him, tell no one that you have informed me of these things. Then he called two of the centurions and said, get ready, 200 soldiers, with 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen, to go as far as Caesarea at the third hour of the night. Also provide mounts for Paul to ride and bring him safely to Felix the governor. And he wrote a letter to this effect. Claudius Lysias, to his excellency the governor Felix, greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them when I came upon them with the soldiers and rescued him. Having learned that he was a Roman citizen and desiring to know the charge for which they were accusing him, I brought him down to their council. I found that he was being accused about questions of their law, but charged with nothing deserving death or imprisonment. And when it was disclosed to me that there would be a plot against the man, I sent him to you at once, ordering his accusers also to state before you what they have against him. So the soldiers, according to their instructions, took Paul and brought him by night to Antipatus. And on the next day, they returned to the barracks, letting the horsemen go on with him. When they had come to Caesarea and delivered the letter to the governor, they presented Paul also before him. On reading the letter, he asked what what province he was from. And when he learned that he was from Cilicia, he said, I will give you a hearing when your accusers arrive. And he commanded him to be guarded in Herod's praetorium. Amen. Shall we pray?
1: Father, thank you for the fact that not only have we come together today to be directed and instructed, but you've brought us together, Lord, to encourage our hearts. And to encourage our hearts with regard to your will your mission, your purpose, and your plan. Thank you, Lord, that we are a part of that purpose, yet we're here for your purpose. We're here for you and not for ourselves. And so, Father, help us today to gain insight into your will, insight into your purpose for our lives, in order that our lives might be wrapped up in your purpose. And as we live for your glory, we know that we will be completely and utterly and totally satisfied. We praise you because you are God. And you're in control of all things, not least of all our lives. Thank you for that this morning. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. Amen. So here we are everybody. My name is Robert. I'm one of the pastors here. Along with Pastor E and Pastor P. And we're coming close to the end of our study in the book of Acts, looking at the history of the early church, or if you like, the acts of not just the apostles, but the acts of the risen Christ through the apostles by the power of the Spirit. Our topic today is Mission Unstoppable. Mission Unstoppable. And this mission is to the whole world. And 2,000 years later, do we not see this to be true? Has anyone anywhere, visible or invisible, been able to completely stop the movement and the effect of the gospel? At a certain point, It will be mission accomplished, and that in the not-too-distant future. Now, if you're visiting for the first time, welcome. Welcome to the sequel to the book of Luke, which started off, that is the book of Luke, by talking about Jesus, who is God, miraculously born into this world. That's the beginning of Luke then Luke ends with the same Jesus as a 33-year-old adult who dies horrifically by crucifixion, as we were reminded by Reynold this morning. Then it doesn't stop. It doesn't stop there with regard to the bad news. He rises from the dead three days later and ascends into heaven. But he doesn't ascend before telling his disciples about the mission. And that's how Luke opens this book. That is the book of Acts. His second book or his sequel to the book of Luke. In Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In the first book, Luke says, at the beginning of Acts. He says, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to what? To do and teach. Check it. Began to do and teach. And then in verse 3 To them, that is to the disciples, he, Jesus, presents himself alive after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Now, listen to the summary verse of the whole book of Acts. This this one verse describes the whole book. It's Acts chapter 1 and it's verse 8. Jesus speaking to the disciples, he says... You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses, my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and where? To the ends of the earth. Now, Jesus, I heard Pastor E say this about 10 years ago, one time, and it's been ringing in my ears all week. Jesus doesn't tell lies. And based on this verse, verse 8 of Acts chapter 1, we've seen that this is true. The mission starts where? In Jerusalem. And it begins for, it begins for Jesus in Jerusalem. <clears throat> and it's going to end in Jerusalem. Well, we've seen that. But it will begin for Paul where? Where, did Paul, where was Paul converted? On the road to Damascus. So for Paul it's going to start in Damascus. Where he was converted. And it's going to end for him where? Not in Jerusalem. It's going to end for Paul in Rome. And we're going to see today that nothing is going to stop it. The gospel keeps on moving. like a. Do you remember Speed? That film with Keanu Reeves. The bus just kept moving. And like Denzel Washington in his new film, Unstoppable, like a juggernaut. That was right on time. That was the amen from the PA system. See, if, if, if we don't cry out the rocks and the chairs and the, and the PA will cry out... <clears throat> like a juggernaut that cannot be stopped because it's unstoppable. That is the gospel. 2,000 years later, the gospel keeps on moving. How do I know that? Because I'm standing here, and you're sitting there, affected by the gospel. Now, we must keep this in mind as we travel through the book of Acts, lest we become discouraged at the persecution the challenges, and the trials in the book and also in our own lives. Three weeks ago, we were reminded that God would allow us to go through difficult circumstances for the furtherance of his kingdom. Two weeks ago, we were challenged to deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and to follow Jesus. Last week, we asked the question, Are we ready to die? Well, Paul was. And we saw that those who were hell-bent on exterminating Paul were who? From which particular nation? His own nation. Just like it says in John 1 about the Lord Jesus. He came to his own and his own what? Received him not. They rejected him. Paul now is being rejected by this same nation, the Jews, wherever he went, wherever the gospel went. And there was another national group who protected him in a strange way. Who were, who were they? The Romans. Throughout this book, we see this interplay. And even earlier in Luke, who was it that wanted to kill Jesus? Jesus. Jews. And then who wanted to release him? Three times, finding no fault in him, Pilate, a Roman, wanted to let him go. We identify this interplay. We see the Gentiles more appeasing, more open, generally speaking, and the Jews, generally speaking, very hostile, close-minded, antagonistic even. Yet with regards to the mission, they can't stop it. And this will continue. Look out for it. I will highlight it. We left Paul last week at the end of chapter 21 under arrest in the hands of the Romans, thankfully. <laughs> Remember? He was about to be scourged like Jesus was. You see this parallel between the life of Jesus and the life of his, his Apostle Paul. And they were just about to scourge him last week. And scourging ain't no joke. We just read over it. It's what, it's what Jesus endured. Again, that same parallel. Did you, did you, did you watch the, the Passion of the Christ? I remember I went to see The Passion of the Christ. I think we went as a church. Must have been about 50 of us. Large group of us went to see it, right? There's me. I don't know what was in my mind. Queuing up to get popcorn and and big, big, big container of Coke. You want to see me going into... And when I sat down and the film started, you know what? We was all kind of laughing and joking and... I don't know where my head was at. Tutu, somebody bunks me, spilled a whole like five gallons of Coca-Cola all over my jeans. And this is the beginning of the film. And Tutu's when it, when it, when it, when it, when it opened up, I can't remember what the opening scene was, but the opening scene thus made me go, oh my gosh, did I forget where, where, I, was, where I was coming, what I was coming to see. And, and th- I didn't touch the popcorn for the whole film. And you know the scene in the film that really—I mean—the crucifixion scene was was well depicted. It was horrendous. But you know the scene that got me was the scourging, when they tied him to that and they scourged him. Now this is what was going to happen to Paul, in at the end of the last chapter, and he was able to say, you know what, to the Tribune, I'm actually a Roman citizen. If he had gone through that scourging, he may not have been able to make it to Rome. Because that scourging, once they finish with your back, I mean, it's right from your your neck back, right down to your ankles, they scourge you. But the way the flesh is ripped off of your back, not just the flesh, but also the the, the blood vessels and, and the muscle. Once they finish that scourging, check it you can sometimes see a person's lungs in their back because the the skin's been shredded. And this is what Paul just missed, thank the Lord. But then, after escaping this Roman scourging by exploiting the loophole in Roman law, which excluded any Roman citizen from this penalty without a proper trial... In order to get to the bottom of Paul's alleged crime, on the very next day, the Roman officer releases Paul from his chains and brings him before his accusers. Because the tribune wants to find out what's going right? So, verse 1. Before his accusers, verse 1 says, And looking intently at them, looking intently at the council, possibly looking at faces that Paul was familiar with, and who were familiar with him. This is the same group of leaders that had condemned Stephen 25 years earlier. And the Lord Jesus earlier still. This is the ruling council. The highest Jewish authority in Israel. The Sanhedrin. And knowing their bloodstained history, listen to how Paul refers to them. Brothers. Lovingly and informally. He says, brothers. He says, I've lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. He says. And this is true. Paul was a man who, even before he had come to know Christ, had acted according to his conscience, although misguided. Right? And after meeting Jesus... He continued in the same way. So he's being honest. He was a a man of integrity from beginning to end. Albeit, now he's standing on the other side of the line, playing for the other team. A team that these Jews hate. So, in their eyes, how dare Paul suggest now that he's acting in good conscience? So in verse two we see a swift and hearty response Old time friend Paul or not Verse two And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth, slap him in an unclean moat. Fiercity, says the high priest. This cheeky brother. Talking about good conscience. He knows nothing about a good conscience, at least from their religious point of view. Verse 3, then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law, and yet contrary to the law, you order me to be struck? Paul, unlike the Lord Jesus, and look, see, another similarity. Do you remember Jesus was found to be in the same place? and, And exposed to this same Paul, unlike the Lord Jesus, who was exposed to similar physical abuse at his trial, Paul goes a step further than questioning the validity of the reason for the slap. Paul personally abuses the high priest, calling him a tomb full of decaying flesh. A hypo- he's calling him a hypocrite. Paul saying, you're clean on the outside, but you're foul on the inside. Paul was cussing him. Remember, they used to use whitewash on the tombs or on the graves, right? To mark them, to make them identifiable so as, so as not to touch them, resulting in ritual uncleanness. It's to mark the graves. And this is what Paul is saying, saying to him. You're like one of them marked tombs full of dead men's bones. On the out- You see the outside, you're all clean. Yes, yeah, all right, I know what you're like. Paul gets personal, verse 4. Those who stood by said, would you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, ooh, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest. For it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Now, because of the lack of clarity of this text, it is suggested that the high priest could have been quite a distance away from Paul. Unrobed, and not in his official attire, what with the court being convened at such short notice. And because we understand that Paul possibly suffered from bad eyesight, maybe Paul didn't realize who it was that gave the order for him to get boxed. So Paul drops the ball at this point, and he swiftly apologizes, doesn't he, for his hasty reaction. And although... Paul's face is stinging and his pride is dented. Paul is a very clever, quick-thinking individual. Look at verse 6. Now, when Paul perceived that one part was Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out to the council, Brothers! (laughs) I'm a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. It is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. See? See? This group is a little bit like the Houses of Parliament. On one side you have the Liberals, and on the other side you have the Conservatives. The Liberals are Sadducees, and the Conservatives are the Pharisees. Now, although they are one government, they have fundamental differences of opinion. (laughs) Sounds a little bit like our present coalition government. David Cameron and Nick Clegg. Their parties are at odds. Now we may or may not agree with them. They may or may not agree with each other. But we still have to pray for them. Amen. So Paul highlights their differences. And he sides with one group, verse 7. And when he had said this, a dissension arose. Now, this is not just a casual difference of opinion. It's strong disagreement that leads to an uproar, as we will see in a moment. A dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. The focus comes off of Paul now, (laughs) and it's between these two. Now, what are the differences? Look at verse 8. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, no angel, nor spirit. But the Pharisees acknowledge them all. Then a great clamor arose, and some of the scribes of the Pharisees' party stood up and contended sharply. We find nothing wrong with this man. They argue across between themselves now. What if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him? And when the dissension became violent. Wow. <laughs> the tribune afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them. So they're having a go at each other. And I suspect now the Sadducees are getting violent with Paul. See, when he saw that this was taking place, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces, the tribune commanded the soldiers to go down and take him away from among them by force and bring him into the barracks. See, who is attacking Paul? Nothing new, the Jews. And who is protecting Paul? Nothing new, the Romans. Now, in attacking Paul, what are the Jews attacking? Notice, I could have said who, Like we saw a couple, was it last week? When Jesus says, Paul, Paul, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I could say, in attacking Paul, who are the Jews attacking? But my question is, in attacking Paul, what are the Jews attacking? They are attacking the gospel. Are they going to win? Have they ever won? Will they ever win? Well, as I said earlier, you and me... Are here. How? Because of the gospel. As hard as they tried, they didn't stop the unstoppable gospel. Check it. In the face of Stephen's martyrdom in Acts chapter 6, verse 7 says, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. In the face of Herod, the Jewish king, executing James with the sword, Acts chapter 12, verse 24 says, But the word of God increased and multiplied. Despite witchcraft and consumerism in Ephesus, Acts chapter 19, verse 20 says, So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail, how? Mightily. Mightily. Notice what continued to increase. Notice what continued to continue. The word of God or the word of the Lord. Now we're not sure, but I think we get a strong hint from the text that would would suggest that Paul was possibly very discouraged at this point. You might, you might be like, "But why? that don't make sense." The word of the, the the word of the Lord is increasing. The word of God is continuing. How can Paul be discouraged? It doesn't make sense in the light of the gospel going forth and conquering. Paul being discouraged. Well, just because the word of God is not being defeated doesn't mean that God's people are not being defeated. We just talked about Stephen's martyrdom in Acts 6. We talked about James's martyrdom in Acts 12. Look at the greatest victory of God's word and its fulfillment in Christ at the cross. God's greatest victory wrought at the cross. The place of suffering. The place where the devil, death, hell, and the grave were all conquered. Yet, not without sacrifice. At the expense of Jesus' crushed body, brutalized, a thousand times slashed, and permanently scarred. And at that point, the word of God was conquering, literally. John chapter 1, Jesus is the word. Conquering. Did it look like he was conquering? And I'm sure it didn't feel like he was conquering, physically. And maybe that's how Paul is now feeling. See, the persecution just keeps on coming, wave after wave, and it won't let up. I mean, Paul just starts to talk to them and them like, like his brothers. And they start pummeling him again. And Paul is he's exhausted. I mean, how would you feel? See, how many years has Paul been in ministry? See, because we turn the page, we don't realize. He was, he was born approximately 5 A.D., His his conversion happened around 34 AD. Twelve years after his conversion, Paul begins his public ministry in the church at Antioch. Twelve years after his conversion! Because he goes off to Arabia for a period of time, and then he's he's home in Tarsus. He ain't doing no public ministry, at least as far as we know. Twelve years later... He then links up with Barnabas on the invitation of Barnabas at Antioch in Acts 13. And then they leave for their first missionary journey. Remember? AD 49, we see the second missionary journey. AD 53, we see the third missionary journey that we've just completed. Now, here, we are in Acts 23 and it's AD 58 now why do i make such a big issue of this because it's been it's been 24 years 24 years of ministry for paul and most of which has been painful 24 years 2nd Corinthians chapter 4 verse 8 through 10 says we are afflicted in every way but not crushed we're perplexed but not driven to despair we're persecuted but not forsaken we're struck down but not destroyed Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. So that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Paul wrote this letter recently whilst he was in Macedonia and in Ephesus. That's when he wrote this. Verse 11. For we who live are always being driven. Sorry, being given over to death. Verse 8, he says, afflicted in every way. Verse 11, always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you, how? Through the gospel. God's message... Is unstoppable but God's messengers are destroyed sometimes temporarily Jesus said you know what don't worry about them that can destroy the body because that's not where it ends worry about him who can throw body and soul in hell We've got to realize that that is a part of our calling. The promises ain't this side for eternal life. <laughs> At least in terms of the duration. We have the quality of life here. But, it's, but really the, the, the banging, complete, total, wonderful, never infringed upon promises, we get to enjoy them when we get home. And we're going to spend much more time home than we are here. God's message is unstoppable. But God's messengers are destroyed sometimes. Temporarily, albeit. And it's painful. Sometimes discouraging. Maybe this is how Paul is feeling here in Acts 23. Afflicted in every way perplexed, persecuted, struck down. That's how Timmy and the family feels right about now. Maybe that's how you feel right about now. Paul says in Galatians 6, verse 17, he says, I bear in my body the marks of Jesus. Who better to comfort Paul at this point? None other than the Lord whose marks he bore. Look at verse 11 of our text. The following night, Paul wasn't on his own, even though Paul was on his own. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage. Take courage. For as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. In this we see two things. One, we see encouragement for Paul. And two, we see a reminder. One, encouragement. Two, a reminder. The encouragement, see, to take courage... Do you remember John 16, 32 to 33, in the Garden of Gethsemane, when the disciples would run away in fear, Jesus says, Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Just like Paul at this point. Yet I am not alone, says Jesus, for the Father is with me. I've said these things to you that in me, you may have peace. And here comes one of the promises. One of the promises that we don't necessarily put on the fridge as a magnet. I think Esso said that a couple of weeks ago. In the world, not you might, or you may, there's not a possibility... He says, in the world, you will have tribulation, he says to his disciples. And that word tribulation is philipsis in Greek. Greek. It includes persecution. Can't deny that Jesus promised this to his disciples. Tribulation, he says. But look, in the midst of it, Jesus says to them what? Same thing he says to Paul. He says, take heart. It's the same word, take courage. Why do you have to take it? Because you've, you've relinquished it. Grab it back. Hold on to courage. Why? Jesus says, I've overcome the world. Amen. In a few hours, it's going to look like I've been overcome, says Jesus. But the world isn't overcoming me, I am overcoming the world. Take heart, take courage. This is the way of the cross. Lord Jesus is saying to Paul, I've overcome and because and, and because I have overcome you can also overcome. See Paul probably needed to take courage to have courage because he had lost his courage. And I'm not surprised by the way that he's been treated recently. He had been through a prolonged and difficult two decades. I mean, for crying out loud, the bread is in his mid-fifties. He's tired. And they never had vitamins and supplements and geo bars that he could walk with as he was traveling. He's busted. He's mash-up. Yet in a book that he will write within the next 36 months, he says... In Philippians chapter 1, verse 23-25, he says, It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with what? Not just courage, you know. Full courage. Now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. For... If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. I want to go in a rapture. He wants to die now. For that's far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on whose account? You see, Paul's not even thinking about himself. He is, but... He immediately realizes it's not about me. He says, But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith through the gospel. I might stay or I might be taken out, I'm dispensable. Like a paper cup. But the gospel. The gospel ain't going nowhere. It's undefeatable. It's indispensable. It's unstoppable. So the Lord encourages. And then he goes on to remind Paul of the mission in verse 11. He says, take courage, Paul. For as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. See, sometimes in the midst of our difficulty, the Lord comes, but the comfort he gives us ain't really what we might be necessarily looking for. I mean, Paul says it in another place. He's just such a great example, right? In Corinthians, he says, Lord, I can't deal with this thing, this this thorn in the flesh, this... This servant of Satan sent to buffet me. I can't take it no more, Lord. Free, he cries out to the Lord, and the Lord just ignores him. At least until the third time, right? And the Lord's response ain't, oh, Paul, forgive me. I was over there busy doing something else. I never realized you, you were suffering and struggling. Come here, Paul. Just sit still. Let me get this horrible thorn out of your side. The Lord don't say that. The Lord says, you know what, Paul? Sorry, fam, but I'm not going to, that's a prayer I'm not going to answer. At least in the way you want it answered, I'm not going to remove the thorn in the flesh. But what I will do is I will enable you, I will give you that which is necessary to handle it. That doesn't mean he's going to completely take it away or take away even the pain of it. But I'm going to enable you to endure. First Corinthians 10 verse 13 says, The Lord do not allow us to be tempted above that which we are able, but will with the temptation or the difficulty make a way of escape for us in order that we can bear up underneath it. We don't want to hear that. I'm sorry, but I don't want to hear it neither. But that's what it says. And the Lord, he does put his arm around him, but he puts his arm around him and says, Paul, the mission ain't changed. But be in, take courage. I've overcome the world. You've seen me do it. Come Paul, let's do this. The Lord says, reminding Paul of that which he was already convinced of earlier in chapter 19, in verse 21, it says, Now after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit, it's capitalized, to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and to go to Jerusalem saying after I've been there I must, I, I must also see Rome Jesus personally encourages him and then he reminds him because in your time of discouragement you can sometimes forget in the dark what you heard in the light to John the Baptist Lord are you, wait a minute You look. go and ask him if he really is the one. Remember? And where was he? Banged up in prison, looking at the end of his life. Now, if Paul wasn't discouraged before this point, there was definitely going to be opportunity within a few hours (laughs) for him to crumble and throw in the towel. Look at me. Look with me at the second challenge to the mission in this chapter. Verse 12. When it was day, the who? The Jews again made a plot and bound themselves by an oath, neither to eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. Oh my gosh. Wow. Now this is serious. And it's not just one or two of them. Verse 13. There were more than 40 who made this conspiracy. They went to the chief priests and elders and said, we have strictly bound ourselves by an oath to taste no food till we have killed Paul. They were convinced that what they were going to do was going to get done. Verse 15, now therefore you, along with the council, give notice. Watch the twistedness. Give notice to the tribune to bring him down, that's Paul, to you, as though you were going to determine his case more exactly. And we are ready to kill him before he comes near. They say, give the tribune the wrong impression, they say. In other words, lie to the tribune. Notice these guys will stoop to any level in order to accomplish their selfish goal. And the, re- the, uh, the, rebe- the, the rebellious religious leaders are willing to go along with this ungodly scheme. And notice I said the religious leaders, the ones who ought to be setting an example here we go again. Just like with Jesus, they will do anything to get rid of him. Now at this point, does it not seem as if the mission is under threat? <clears throat> I mean, honestly, because you read ahead and you know, because, because Raymond read the, the, whole, the whole of chapter 23, we know, right? But imagine if you were there at this point with these brothers on a death mission. Does it not seem as if the mission is now under threat? Yes. But what did God say? God said Paul is going to testify in Rome in the same way he testified in Jerusalem. Question. Is Paul going to make it to Rome? Yes. Why? Because it's mission unstoppable. Therefore, even with this 40-man army, this mini-militia, guerrilla-type group, even with this onslaught, Paul can take courage. Never fear, because God is at work. We are so faithless. Do you know you got one of two choices as you go into this next week? You can be worried about how potentially bad it's going to be and how unfulfilled you're going to feel. You can either see giants in the land who are going to crush you or see challenges that are food for you. Difficult trials that will eventually build your faith in a God who can't fail. That is, see, amen, that is in regard to his purpose. But I think that that is a big part of the problem. We don't care much for his purpose. We're like, Lord, not your will, but my will be done. See, it's not that we don't pray. We pray alright. But it's like James says, we pray amiss. And, and we start off all right, you know. On some, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. My kingdom come and my will be done on earth. See, because as quickly as, because as, quickly as we can in our prayers, we want to get to the me, my, I, minds, me. What does that sound like? That sounds like a child, doesn't it? Me, I want mine, I. Did you know that there's only one fundamental commandment in the satanic Bible? Now that's two things in one. Some of you never even knew there was a satanic Bible. Right? Check it. There's only one fundamental commandment in the satanic Bible it's written by a man called Anton LaVey. Anton Zandor LaVey. See, the old prince of darkness himself. And do you know what that commandment is? The only one. Do as thou wilt. Is the whole of the law. It says in the Satanic Bible. Do as thou wilt. Who is at the center of that commandment? Me. Mine. I. Keep that commandment. And you end up breaking all of God's commandments. And fundamentally, there's only one commandment in our Bibles. Fundamentally, and what is it? See, God is at the center of that commandment. Put God first. That's how you can can sum up the first commandment. And you keep that commandment, and you end up keeping all of God's commandments. Loving your neighbor as yourself, not lying, stealing, committing adultery, having sex outside of marriage. If you keep that one commandment. And very often, the reason why we are so glum, so down, and so dissatisfied is because our prayers are not being answered. And we're not getting our way because we want to do as we will. Tell me I'm lying. You're not struggling You're not struggling with anything other than the desire to fulfill your own will. I'm not struggling with anything other than the, the desire to fulfill. Can't, I can't even get the words out of my mouth. I'm only struggling with the desire to fulfill my own will. Getting back to the story. I mean, it looks Grim. On the surface, it seems like curtains, but God is committed to his purpose. Are you crazy? Watch him preserve the mission. Verse 16, now the son of Paul's sister, I'm talking about random. The son of Paul's sister heard of their ambush. So he went and entered the barracks and told Paul. Now, do you think this is just coincidence? That this young man just happened to be there? Paul called, verse 17, one of the centurions and said, Take this young man to the tribune, for he has something to tell him. I mean, this little boy is like Charlie, Charlie, is it Wonka? No, Willie, Charlie, the the Charlie and the and the and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Like with a golden ticket. I mean, if this boy don't get there, the whole of God's purpose is going to fail. Like, it's heavy. Jesus, look at these 11 disciples. They're all jokers, all of them. Lord, you're going to hang the purpose of the... It's not even a century. The purpose of the ages. On them. It's heavy. And this little boy... I mean, he could have tripped over and bust his head on a rock and died. Everything is wrapped up in this little boy getting to the tribune. I mean, how hard was this? God placed this young man in the right place at the right time. Simples. The tribune is then exposed to the ambush in verse 18 through 21. Look at verse 23. Then he called two of the centurions and said, get ready 200 soldiers with 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen to go as far as Caesarea at the third hour of the night. Also provide mounts for Paul to ride and bring him how? Bring him how? Safely to Felix the governor. I love it. Paul, check it. This little old frail weak blind guy. I mean, Paul's the dude with the milk bottle bottom glasses. How many soldiers, do, how many soldiers does God get to look after him? How many? 200? Is it 200? You're not looking good. You're not looking good. 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, and 200 spearmen. Oh my gosh. 470 Russell crows, Like nearly nearly 500 gladiators to protect one man. Juggernaut. I can't wait to see that film. You know the film I'm talking about? I can't wait to see The film Unstoppable, when it comes out, if it's not already out. Because it will just remind me of the gospel. It's unstoppable. An army of crack troops over ten times the size of this little Jewish renegade outfit. Remember that we were terrified of a minute ago. They looked really impressive a minute ago. Well, they're going to be rubbing their stomachs in hunger in a few hours' time. Question, is Paul going to get to Rome? You don't sound very convinced. More importantly, is the gospel going to get to Rome? Is the gospel going to get to the ends of the earth? I can't hear you. Do you believe it? Do you believe the gospel is going to get to the ends of the earth in our time? Hmm. Even though some of you hesitate, the answer is yes. Because because Jesus said so. And Jesus doesn't tell lies. He said so in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. The only question is, are you going to play a part in seeing it happen? It's the indestructible gospel. It's unstoppable. 470 soldiers to ensure the safe travel of the message and the messenger. Claudius Lysias, this high-ranking Roman tribune, then writes a letter outlining the situation to his superior in Caesarea. Verse 25 through 30, we see that. And they escort Paul and the letter the same night. Nothing, nothing long. To Antipatris, God is. Can you see? God is able to protect His investment easily, to the point where He can He can He can leave it in the hands of a boy, or some joker, eleven disciples, or hello. <laughs> Nothing ain't changed, right? It's in the hand. It's in our. It's in our hands but but you see that's the thing it's not in our hands it's in his hands and he's able to protect his investment and fundamentally primarily his investment isn't you and me it's the mission it's the gospel we are his inheritance we are his investment but what we are is wrapped up in the gospel We are trophies of the gospel. We are an investment, but it's the gospel that has given us our worth. And Jesus is the initiator of the gospel. Without the gospel, there is no me, there is no you, there is no salvation. And none of us, can I remind us this afternoon, that none of us are indestructible in an earthly sense but the gospel is. It's unstoppable. Amen. Father, we... Oh, Lord. I'm all hyped up and excited, but I know that within an hour or so, it's going to dissipate. And I thank you, Lord, that you know my frame. And I'm sure I identify with my brothers and sisters who are here this afternoon. Yet, you, the God of Israel, you neither slumber nor sleep. You're proactive. You're not. You're not like us. Our thoughts are not your thoughts. Our ways are not your ways. You don't procrastinate. You're on, Lord. You are on this thing, and you're not. You're never caught slipping. And Father, you've called us in the gospel, by the gospel, through the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ and his suffering in our place in order that we might be able to put on the shirt and join your team and get on the pitch and play for you, to play not just for you, but with you. And yet, Lord, all it takes is an is a FA Cup final for us to get distracted. I mean, an earthly FA Cup final. I pray that Lord, you'd help us to get our head in the game, Lord, and not be distracted by the cares of this life and the things of this world. But Lord, we would just see your mission, and we'd give ourselves to it, Lord. Lessen in our frustrations. Lessen in our Lord. I get so I get so caught up in my own desires and get frustrated when I don't see them fulfilled. And it's because I take my eyes off of the mission, Lord. Help me to see, Lord. Help us to see. That you're committed to fulfilling your purpose. Not our purpose. Your purpose. And Lord, if we will only understand and identify with that purpose, we will be overwhelmed with joy. Like Paul in Philippians. Overwhelmed with joy. Even in the face of difficulty. Persecution. Persecution challenge and trial father i pray that you'd reveal this to us by and through your spirit in the name of jesus